Ready or not, here I come. You've all shouted this before, right? Maybe even playing manhunt or kick the can or just a simple game of hide and seek. And of course, we've all been on the other side of things too, among those who are supposed to be hiding. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I've been caught unprepared by the time that yell goes out. I thought I had more time, or wasted the time I had. And all of a sudden, I find myself hiding behind something foolish. Like, if I had this, if this chair was out here, I'd be like, oh man, I've got to hide behind this chair. And any of you kids, if you were searching for me, you'd be able to find me, right? Plain as day. You gotta be paying attention to the countdown. You gotta be listening for when the person's gonna be shouting. Otherwise, you, in this case, I will be the first one found. Unless there was someone who was somehow more unprepared than me. Those who are gonna win the game are gonna be ready when that shout goes out. And the remainder of our verses here in Matthew chapter 24, looking at verses 36 through 51, Jesus continues his response to a couple of questions that some of the disciples had asked him. Jesus had told the disciples that the temple is going to be destroyed. And in response, they asked him, one, when will this happen? That is the destruction of the temple. And then two, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In verses 1 through 35, we saw how Jesus' comments mostly centered on the destruction of the, te- of the temple, which came to pass later on uh, by the Romans in 70 AD. In the verses that we're looking at today, Jesus begins to specifically address the disciples' second question, which looks to the end of the age, when he will come again to establish God's kingdom once and for all. So starting in verse 36, Jesus directly addresses the sort of details that would have appealed to his disciples and also to us. We want to know when Jesus is coming back. We want to know when the kingdom is coming. Now, at this point, they don't, the disciples don't understand the coming of the kingdom as Christ's return because he hasn't even left yet. But us being on the other side of the cross understand this as a second coming, a second return. And what Jesus says is that you can't know. No one knows the day or the hour when God's kingdom will come in full, when Jesus will return. Now, if you know anything about church history, and uh, actually the youth here probably know quite a bit because we've been spending about a year and a half going through it, uh, you'll know our denomination emerged from the wreckage of a movement that made this exact error. Um, There was a guy named William Miller who, um, looking across the prophecies in the Bible, came to the conviction that Jesus was going to return on October 22nd, 1844. There's lots of other interesting details about that whole saga. Um, But, of course, he was wrong, And that event was called the Great Disappointment. It would be obviously very disappointing to think 
in your heart of hearts that Jesus is coming back, but he doesn't. Now, that heartache, that heartbreak, that disappointment, all could have been avoided if they had just taken Jesus' words here seriously. And this is why, on a personal level, as an Evan Christian pastor, I'm wary about any kind of speculation about the time of Christ's return. Because the people at that time, in the 1800s, made as strong a case as possible as one could but the point is, is they shouldn't have tried to do that. It was a wrong-headed thing to do because Jesus' word is clear. And it has precedent in the Old Testament. And it's repeated again later on after his resurrection. First in the Old Testament, we see in Zechariah 14.7, the word of the Lord says, It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord, with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. And then again, on the other side of the cross, after Christ's resurrection, right before he's getting ready to ascend, we see Jesus tell the disciples again in Acts 1-7, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And in fact, Jesus says, no human being can know this. Angels don't know it. And even he doesn't know the day or the hour. Now, this is a little bit puzzling because we say that Jesus is not only fully man, but fully God. And so, is this indicating that maybe he's only like half God, three quarters God, not fully God? No. Um, Jesus has two natures a human nature and a divine nature. And he retains the divine nature. But in becoming a human being, truly becoming a human being, he has accepted certain limitations as he enters into the human frame. He lives a truly human life. And we see this. Jesus gets baptized. Why would God need to be baptized? Well, because God, the Son of God here, is also fully human. We see Jesus praying. That seems funny. If he's God, why does he have to pray? Well, because he's also fully human. And we see him relying upon the Holy Spirit in just the same way that we should be relying on the Holy Spirit. Now, that's also an indication of his perfect Trinitarian relationship, triune relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it's also a model for us that in everything we do, we should be relying on the Holy Spirit. And so here, Jesus is saying, I'm in the same boat with you. Right now, I do not know the day or the hour, because I've accepted these same limitations that are, are upon you. Now, is this easy to understand how Jesus is fully God and fully human, but he doesn't know the day or the hour? No, it's not easy. But this is the dynamic that we're talking about when we're talking about Jesus being fully divine and fully human. Now, we do see some verses that also speak to this reality, that attest to this reality of how Jesus has really entered into our situation. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, 6-7 says, Who, being in very nature God, talking about Jesus here, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 2 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, 
that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Therefore, he had to, made, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So Jesus knows what it's like to be in our shoes. And so, as he's calling us to trust the Father, he's only, doing, he's only calling us to do that which he is doing himself, which is trusting the Father. Trusting the timing, the wisdom of the Father as for when the kingdom will come in full. Now, Jesus says also here that the situation the disciples are in, which is our own situation as well because we are still waiting for Christ's return, is the same situation that occurred in the days of Noah. Now, the situation in Noah's day is the whole earth was wicked. Noah was the only righteous man that God could find on the face of the earth. And of course, God in bringing judgment on the earth wiped out everybody with a flood save Noah and his family. Now, all those other people, they would have made their own boats and gotten to, you know, the highest ground possible, I guess, <laughs> if they had seen it coming, but they didn't. They didn't see the flood coming. They didn't have any weather channel. They were just one day partying, going about their daily business, and then boom, the flood came upon them. God's judgment came upon them. In the parallel account that we have in Luke's Gospel, he describes it as this, Luke 17, 26-27, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage. So everyday life, just the things of life. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, then the flood came and destroyed them all. This is what Jesus says awaits us at the end of the age. What awaits this world. There is going to be destruction. Just as there was destruction in Noah's day. At the end of the age, it will be by fire. And so, like Noah, we must be found righteous if we're going to survive. Now, this righteousness does not come from our own. We know none of us could stand before God on our own stead. This is a righteousness which comes from Christ, by putting faith in Christ. But this is what we can anticipate. This is what Peter says in his letter, 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 12. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? All these details are helpful here for reminding us that Jesus is truly referring to the end of the ages, to the very end. When the curtain comes down and the show's over and we all are going to stand before God. 
That's helpful for us, I think, in understanding the, the, the next details that he includes here. He, he says it's going to be like two, there's going to be men working in the field. One's going to be taken, the other left. There's going to be women grinding at the mill. One's going to be taken, the other left. And what he's talking about here is the division that's going to be happening at the final judgment. And this taking is not a taking for being destroyed. It's a taking for salvation. Um, we see this kind of language used in John 14, verses 2 through 3. It says there, In my Father's house, this is Jesus speaking, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to pre- prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am you may be also. So what we're to understand from this is that at the end of the age, when the day of judgment comes, there's going to be people that we know. There's going to be people that we work alongside every day who are not going to make it. They're going to be caught up in the judgment that comes. Now, maybe that bothers you. Maybe that troubles you. And if so, I only have one question for you then. What are you doing about it? Because time remains. God has given us time today to reach out to those people, to warn them, to prepare them for this day. We can't be upset when that day comes. And we say, God, why did you, why did you bring judgment on these people? He, he said, I told you to go to them. You were supposed to bring the warning to them. God has given us a job to do. And Jesus tells us that we have to keep watch because we do not know when that day is going to come. Again, no one knows the day or the hour. And he gives us a picture here in verses 43 through 44. He says it's going to be like a thief coming in the night. Now the, the point, of course, of this imagery is that no one knows when a thief is coming. If you knew when the thief was coming, if some, somehow you had some inside information or maybe you traveled to the future and you saw this happening and stuff, um, you'd be sitting at the window at 1 a.m. when that guy's going to bust through the window to stop the guy. Now, Jesus, in saying, though, that we don't know and it's going to be like a thief, the point of him saying all that isn't to make us conclude, well, preparation doesn't matter because we don't know. No. The complete opposite is his message. He says we have to be always ready for Christ's return. You have to be always ready for that thief. To break in. If you're always expecting the thief, you'll never be caught off guard. This is exactly Paul's point from 1 Thessalonians 5. This is a really significant passage, so I'm going to have it up there, but I encourage you to mark it out in your Bibles as well. It really kind of clarifies the whole meaning of Jesus' words here. Paul says this, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates... 
we do not need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate in the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I think it's interesting here, the details that Paul includes in this passage. One, saying that people are going to be saying peace and safety. And then they're going to get surprised. I think a lot of times when we think about anticipating Christ coming, that we think of it as being something like, Oh, every, you know, it's going to be like at the height of a pandemic or in the middle of a world war, and then he's going to come. No, that's not when he's going to come. He's going to come when you least expect it. When everyone's saying, oh, it's great. The world's perfect. We don't, we're, we're lacking for nothing. Peace and safety. It's then that the destruction will come. Paul says that the day is going to come like a thief in the night but that we can be prepared. But being prepared for that day, being prepared for the apocalypse, doesn't look like stocking up on spam. If you're stocking up on spam, you're making all the wrong preparations. To be prepped for that final day looks like having our armor on. Having faith and love on as a breastplate and hope of salvation on as a helmet. What Paul is saying is that we should be people who are defined by faith, hope, and love. You've probably heard that before. Faith, hope, and love. These are the three key virtues that God calls us to. What does it look like to be lacking those things, to have our security compromised, to be sleeping on the clock. It looks like being people of weak faith, not standing for the truth, not being faithful in making disciples and raising our kids to follow the Lord, and setting priorities that are sacrificial as we serve others. It looks like drinking the despair of our time, saying there's no hope. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. And I can get that sense of pessimism here in the West. And among Christians, which is really the audience here, there's like, oh, there's no hope. You know, people don't come to church. No one wants to hear the gospel, blah, blah, blah. All this despair. That's not the hope of salvation that God has given us. 
We're sleeping on the clock. We've let down our guard when we decide, I don't really need to love people. I don't need to love my enemy. I'm just going to give myself over to the anger that I'm feeling within me. And just joining in the battle of hatred that pitches people against one another. This is what it looks like for us to be found unprepared. The critical question is, how will Christ find us on the day when He returns? And the answer to that question is, well, what does your everyday life look like? Are you with Jesus or are you chasing your own mission? In verses 45 through 51, Jesus makes it clear. We've been given a job. He's given us work to do while he is absent. Talks about a faithful and wise servant who's been put in charge of a household. And we th- when we think about all the things that God has called us to do as followers of Jesus Christ, I think sometimes we can think, oh, well, you know, I'd be right on task if Jesus was just right here with me. Oh, that'd just be so much easier if he was here with me and I'd do all the things that he wants me to do. Well, that's not saying very much for our our reliability, is it? (laughs) Imagine if your boss always had to be over your shoulder as you're doing your job. It wouldn't speak well of you. The test of our loyalty... The test of our faithfulness is in this time while he is away. He hasn't abandoned us. He has entrusted us with the work of the kingdom. The picture that Jesus gives us in these verses, again, is of this servant who is tasked with the care of other servants. His task is this, to guide them in their work, and to feed them, to take care of them. And it makes me think of what Jesus um, says to Peter. And this is after his resurrection, and it's kind of this moment of reconciliation between Peter and Jesus, because Peter denied Jesus three times. John 21, 17, second half of the verse, Jesus says to Peter, Do you love me? And Peter says in response, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus says in response, feed my sheep. If we are wise and faithful servants, we will be found doing this. We will be feeding the sheep. Jesus will find us leading people to God and feeding them the food of the gospel. I think sometimes we miss this, but the church is part of God's gift to the world in Christ because we are the body of Christ. So if God has given his son to the world, he's also given us to the world because we are members of Christ. Our mission is to feed the hungry. And that includes meeting needs a physical hunger. That's why we do things like the Thanksgiving and Christmas baskets. We certainly want to help people out materially. But we especially want to help them spiritually. 
to be reconciled to God and with each other and to be restored to the kind of people that God has created us to be. We are called to help the whole person, to help them find new life in Jesus. Jesus has entrusted this to us. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.2. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. We must prove faithful. When we are faithful, when we are loyal, we can anticipate an awesome future in the new world to come. God will put us to even further use in ways we can't even imagine. That's what Jesus is suggesting here when he's saying that, you know, if he comes back, if the master comes back and finds his servant has done what he's been telling him to do, he's going to be in charge of his whole household. We don't know what it's going to look like in the new creation, but we know that it's not going to be just a time of laying on the couch. God has some great things ahead for us. And what we do here in this world is going to have an impact on the roles that we have in the world to come. But what if we're not? What if we're not loyal? Not faithful? What if, like Jesus says here, like this servant, we beat people instead of feed them? What if we get drunk on this world? Well, Jesus says we're going to get caught. We'll get exposed. And we see this notion picked up in the book of Revelation. Jesus, in speaking to the church of Sardis, says, Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. And then later on in Revelation 16, He says, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as to not go naked and be shamefully exposed. You don't want to be found naked when Jesus comes. So what does it mean to be found clothed? Remember the clothing that that Paul talked about in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, but since we belong to today, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. If Jesus doesn't find us clothed, if he doesn't find us ready, if instead he finds us with our pants around our ankles, there's going to be consequences. He says in verse 51, of this servant, that this master will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a couple of things to note here. Jesus says that his place will be with the hypocrites. If we turn back to the previous chapter, Matthew 23, we'll recall that Jesus says this to the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. 
And then by the time he gets down, that was verse 15, by the time you get down to verse 33, he says, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? So the place of the hypocrites is hell. This is what's getting, being talked about here. We've already heard this language um, discussed of weeping and gnashing of teeth in Matthew 8.12 where Jesus says, But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this weeping and gnashing of teeth is of a weeping that comes from real regret and a gnashing of teeth of anger and just bitterness. This is going to be the response when God's day of judgment comes. This is the judgment that faces the world. This is the judgment that faces anyone who claims to follow Jesus but proves that to be a lie in their everyday lives. We can't abandon the mission and get drunk with the world and claim at the end of the day that we have faith in Jesus. Because people who have faith in Jesus live like he's coming. They believe that he's really coming back. And that changes everything. Real Christians do not know the day or the hour when Jesus will return. But they won't be blindsided. They'll be ready. If they're in Christ, they will be found geared up in the faith, hope, and love that He gives them. And putting it into action in this world. They'll be feeding the people. If we say that we're His disciples, then Jesus is telling this. It's a very simple message. He's saying, be ready every single day. Not just on Sundays, not just when we have disciple groups and, and things are kind of coming together for us to really be following Jesus. Saying, be ready every day. Always be on mission. He's not asking the impossible. He's not asking or expecting you to be perfect. He's just expecting that He will find you doing your job. Not sleeping on it. And so this is the challenge for us. To consider how will we be found awake as a church, as Rockland Community Church, in your own life, but also in our corporate life. How can we be faithful in dawning faith, hope, and love? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank You for this Word that we've received from Your Son. And how He really directs our attention in the way that it really needs to be directed, Father. Father, in our human curiosity, we, it's easy for us to really get fixated in, in thinking about 
when Jesus will return, and all other kind of details like that, God. But your Son has reminded us here that that's not to be our main concern. Our main concern is to be found ready when He returns. And so, Father, our prayer this morning is that we would be found ready. That we would put on the armor of of faith, hope, and love. That we would be found doing the work that You've called us to do. Not because we're saved by that, Father, but because this is what it means to be part of Your household. That as we've been joined to Christ and Christ has been given to the world, so have we been given to the world to bring the word of salvation. Because the world needs it, Father, we know. Because judgment is coming. And so, Father, fill us with love to bring this word to our neighbors so that they too may be delivered and be found ready. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Hey there, Pastor Tom here. I hope you enjoyed this sermon I offer to Rockland Community Church. Rockland Community Church is located at 212 Rockland Road in North Scituate, Rhode Island, just around the bend from Scituate Public High School. We invite you to join us in person or virtually this Sunday as we continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew. It's our joy to welcome you into our community.